Hey everyone, welcome to episode 208, Love and Logic, Natural Consequences. Meet our mom, Kelly Hutchison. She is a life coach. She is a child counselor. She is a teacher. She's a parent coach. And she's a mom to us. She will teach you to stop yelling at your kids. She will teach you to get your kids to lesson. She will teach you how to never sleep with mommy guilt again. She will teach you how to be an imperfect mom. So you can help your kids be imperfect too. And have harmony in the home. So, hey everyone, I cannot believe we're on episode 208. It still feels so surreal that like I talk into a microphone and then guess what? You all listen, like what is happening? It's a very humbling and very scary experience, but I'm feeling the fear in doing it anyway, especially when we're talking about this topic because it's so near and dear to all of our hearts, but it feels selfish to keep it to myself. And so that's why I share. And then you guys are also amazing and you listen. Isn't that amazing? It's a want match. And that's what I love about podcasting is like, versus like me hijacking your feed, you have to opt into this and you have to choose every Wednesday to say, hey, Kelly released a new podcast. Let me go listen. Or let me binge on her while I'm going for a run. Tell me what you're doing while you're listening. I'm just curious. Are you in the car? Are you running? Are you laying by the pool? Are you doing chores? Are you hiding in your closet listening, trying to hide from your family? Tell me all the things. Are you working? And then I'm in your earbuds? Tell me all the things. So whenever I talk about love and logic, everyone wants to know what is love and logic. And it kind of is a lot like what it sounds. It's based on the book, Love and Logic. They have them for toddlers. They have them for teens. They have them for school-aged children. They have them all for different ages and stages. And in the end, it's always the same message of leading with empathy, leading with compassion, leading with love. The way in which you talk to the child, we're not talking at them, we're talking with the child. The way you talk to the child is different based on their age and stage. Toddlers are much different than teens. Teens are much different than toddlers. When they're little, you take advantage of their magical imagination and their fun, lighthearted brain. When they're teens, you start to try that stuff? Uh-uh, no bueno. I remember I was trained as a first grade teacher. All my internships, all my training, I was just like obsessed with the K through two age of development and reading and all of that. So then I got a job my first year out of college. I think I was like 21 years old, greener than green. I got the job in December. So the class had already been formed. I'm 21, fresh out of college, so excited to become a teacher. And I finally get a job. And I was obsessed with the K through two child, that age, that stage. It was all my training. It was all my internships. It was all my studying. It was where my passion was. And I knew that child inside and out that age. So then I get a job in fifth grade in the middle of the school year. The classrooms were packed to the gills and they finally, finally enrolled one more student that tipped the scales. They were able to hire a brand new teacher. And that was me. So 
The problem was these fifth graders were in a br the brand new section of the building. It just been remodeled. So that meant in fourth grade, while it was being remodeled, they were all in portables, okay? So they're all in portables. Then they get to, in fifth grade, their senior year of elementary school, they get to move into the brand new wing of the building and they are happy as a lark. They're with all their friends. They love their teachers, all the things. Well, I come in and then they have to create a new class from these five or six existing classes. Well, you can't just have 21 kids or 25 kids randomly show up on the first day of my first day. So they had to pull four or five kids out of each classroom randomly to form my class, which the, I don't blame them. They're probably like devastated, probably traumatic childhood memory. This brand new 21 year old teacher with this big flower dress. I remember what I wore in the first grade of school. <laughs> I looked like Laura Ingalls in hindsight from Little House on the Prairie. I mean, why style? I had pantyhose on for Pete's sake and pumps. Like what is happening? I look at that picture. I look, I, I wore it multiple times. I wore it for like class pictures. So they pluck four or five kids randomly out of each class. They're all bawling, not all of them, but they're either upset, they're shocked. I mean, the faces were just beyond. It was right before Christmas break. And then they bring them out into a portable because there was no room for me so they bring me out into a portable, these poor kids. And I remember while I was teaching them throughout the school year, they'd say, you teach us, you treat us like little kids. Cause I had like sticker charts and smiley charts and behavior charts. I had charts coming out of the wazoo. And I was like, they kind of intimidated me. They were only 10 and 11, but I think back and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm only 10 years older than some of you. Like it was so scary, but I love them and they loved me, I think but it was scary. So my point is I had to adjust and I could not use the smiley charts that I used for first graders. I could not use that with fifth graders, but I didn't know that until they told me. So when you're talking about love and logic, they do have a book for every level. They don't have it on audio. They have it on CDs, which who has CD players anymore? So we were trained as a teacher in love and logic and then I would train the parents in love and logic because what you do in the schools is very similar than what you do at home. Now, you don't have to agree with everything that anyone ever says, does, or trains, or teaches in a module or a book or on this podcast. So like with anything, I want you to be your own guru. I do not want to be your guru. I love that, um, I love that documentary, I'm Not Your Guru. It's all about unleashing the power within. Tony Robbins always talks about so don't get too jammed up if they say something in the book or on, or I say something on the podcast or you see something in a module training that you're doing that you're like, mm, that's not really going to work. It's like a recipe. You make it your own because no one knows your child or children better than you do. So you take the good, you take the bad, you take them both and there you have your rubric parenting. So when you talk about consequences, I get a lot of questions about what do you do when, what do you do when, and what you're really asking is how do I make this never happen again? And I am here to say that when you control your side of the street, you have to make sure that you don't do the side of your street stuff that you don't want to do again.
With Love and Logic, they teach amazing strategies. Another book, if you like only audio and you don't have a CD player, is How to Talk So Your Kids Will Listen and How to Listen So Your Kids Will Talk. I wish it was a shorter title because it would be so much easier to say, like I say, Love and Logic. So they're very similar. Love and Logic teaches the uh-oh technique, which I love the uh-oh technique, which I talked about in a previous podcast. But I would say other than the uh-oh technique, the two books are very similar. And they talk a lot about consequences, how they have to be directly related and pretty immediate to the quote unquote crime. And you cannot do any of these strategies or techniques or consequences when you're in the red. You can't do them when you are not detached. How do I know? Because for five years I had strategies, love and logic, how to talk so your kids will listen, how to listen so your kids will talk. I had strategies coming out of the wazoo. Years and years of being a behavior coach in the classroom, a counselor, a teacher, teaching most of the grade levels. So I had strategies, I had charts, I had smiley charts, I had all the things, but it did not work because I had my ego front and center. It threw all, it made all the charts watery and pretty much just like, why would I even have any of it? Because when you have something like, let's say a chart, you're only as good as the chart holder. Because if you're talking about behavior, sometimes behavior is very subjective. Now, if we're talking about flossing your teeth, that's something that is measurable. But when you're talking about an attitude that a child's giving you, you can't really measure that because then you're getting into the banter. Stop giving me attitude. I'm not giving you attitude. Yes, you are. You just rolled your eyes. I didn't roll your eyes. I just had something in my eye. And then you're like in this like a never ending vortex. I've been there professionally and personally. I've been on both sides of that. So with natural consequences, when you are detached and you put the ego to the side, you control your side of the street. It's a lot easier to kind of teach your kids, not so much right from wrong, but every action has a consequence. And that's what they're going to learn in life. Like if I speed, I will probably get a speeding ticket. I probably won't get a speeding ticket every time, but the natural consequence to speeding is that I'll get a speeding ticket. Same with running a red light, running a stop sign. So you always want to make sure that the consequences are tied to the quote unquote crime. Now, we don't want to call their behavior crimes, but I always say, there's good choices and bad choices. There's no child who's all bad and there's no child who's all good. There are kids who make good choices and bad choices. We are adults. Sometimes I make bad choices. Sometimes I make good choices. I try to make the good outweigh the bad. Doesn't always happen. I'm probably like 75 good choices, 25 bad choices. Some days it's flipped where I'm 75% I'm 75 bad choices and 25 good choices. So it's that balancing act and giving our kids that same grace and compassion that we give to ourselves. We can only give it to them if we give it to ourselves first. I think I've said that 208 times on our podcast. So with Love and Logic, they talk a lot about an energy drain because sometimes when you're talking about like the attitude or those intangible things, like, yeah, he threw, if he throws a ball in the house and breaks a window, that's very tangible we know that there's a consequence that can go with it. But when it comes to lying or attitude, or I cleaned my room, no, you didn't clean your room, or it's not tangible, you have to have some type of consequence that goes along with it, positive and negative. So they talk a lot about having energy drains, where this is causing an energy drain, so to, to refill my energy, I need you to do X, Y, Z. You can also call it a time drain. I've used the example before when Grady was little and he wouldn't, didn't wanna get out of the pool. And I said, oh, bummer. Or uh-oh, if you don't get out of the pool, then we're not only gonna we're not gonna be able to read all four books. We used to read Berenstein Bear books every night or Curious George. We can only read two books. So the time drain is made up by taking time away from other things that they like to do. But I never recommend taking away all the things all the time. 
like, oh, you won't get out of the pool. Now we can't do any books. Why do I do that? Because then the kids have nothing really to quote unquote work for. And they have nothing really, no incentives, so to speak. And then you've lost all your incentives. Like, okay, well, I've, I'm not doing books. So I might as well just keep swimming away like a little mermaid here. So when you're detached, you can kind of see clearly a, what a consequence could be that would naturally make sense versus you just hit the dog. So now you can't watch TV tonight. There's no correlation, so to speak. Sometimes it's done in the heat of the moment. Now, there are times when you can't think of things on the spot. That is happens all the time with me, all the time with parents. So a lot of times you can say something that might buy some time. Like, I'll have to think about what that consequence is going to be. We will have to talk about what that consequence is going to be. Your dad and I, or your mom and I, are going to have to have a talk to see what that consequence will be. So why don't you think about it? I'll think about it. And then we'll meet in the middle. A lot of times we do a lot of shark tank with the consequences. I'll be like, this is what I think the consequence should be. What do you think the consequence should be? Or sometimes I let them go first. And sometimes their consequence. I'm like, dang, that's a little harsh because just like, and I, t I, I try to model for them how I'm using natural consequences in my own life with the speeding tickets and stuff like that. Not that I've had one. Don't worry, dad. But that example of how natural consequences happen no matter what, we call them NC in our house. Like if I lose my expensive sunglasses, I'm not able, my natural consequences that I'm not able to buy expensive sunglasses again because I can't trust myself. So I'm going to buy the cheapies at Walgreens. No offense to Walgreens, I love Walgreens. Instead of my Quays, Q-U-A-Y, I love those sunglasses. So that's a natural consequence where I have to build trust in myself and build responsibility that I can be trusted to have the more expensive sunglasses or the more desirable sunglasses. But in the meantime, doesn't mean I'm never going to have sunglasses again because I cannot leave that. I can't even check my mail without sunglasses on. Be for real. I'm being so for real. That's what my kids say all the time. Be for real. Be for real. It's really more since I've had LASIK surgery, they became super sensitive. And so sunglasses for me are non-negotiable. But if I'm losing the expensive ones, then I need to kind of get back on my training wheels. So examples of natural consequences that match what they did, like if your child draws on the wall and they're little and they don't know right from wrong, we don't freak out, we don't yell, we don't shame. We might have them have them help paint the wall or clean the couches that they drew on the couches. Or sometimes if they are throwing a toy, you could have them kiss the toy to because the toy has boo-boos and then the, the toy goes, the toy takes a little break because the toy is scared and the toy goes on top of the refrigerator. Bye-bye toy. I love you. I'll miss you. I'm so sorry that happened. And so you're teaching empathy and compassion because they threw the toy. But a lot of times we see them throw the toy and then we get mad and we think, oh my goodness, they're going to get in fights when they're in high school. They're two years old and we're already borrowing worry about them getting in fights in high school. So we got to nip this in the bud, scream our heads off, spank them to let them know that hitting is not okay or throwing the toy is not okay. That's just going to teach more of what we don't want. So when we're detached, we can kind of think about it and think about it in advance because a lot of times their behaviors and what is undesirable, you can kind of predict. You can probably predict what behaviors you're going to see the next day that are undesirable. So in advance, you can talk about it. When you throw that toy, the toy is going to have to take a little break because the toy is scared. Now, could you do that with a teen? Absolutely not. But if they throw the toy or they throw the Xbox or they throw the game controller, then we're probably going to put that game controller up on the fridge, like take a little break. Or if they break it, they have to pay, pay for a new one. Like if they break an expensive lamp because they're playing ball in the house and the lamp is $300 to repay 
and they're three years old. Well, are they going to pay $350? No, but they can maybe give their allowance. They don't know how much a lamp costs. They can kind of help pay for a new lamp, go shop for a new lamp. So there's lots of things that they can do to repair. Because remember, the four R's of an apology are take responsibility, show remorse, repair it, and promise a no repeat. So part of that repair process is helping to pay for it, helping to clean it up, helping to repaint the walls, writing a letter of an apology. If they're too young to write, they can draw a picture of an apology. They can kiss the boo-boo if they hurt someone or something, or if they hit the dog. And a lot of times when they're little, you can do a lot of pretend apologies, pretend kisses. Obviously, the dog's not able to read, but they do they know that when they're three years old? No, but we can write a letter of apology or draw a picture for the doggy. Other natural consequences could be if they're going to school and they don't want to wear a coat or jeans or they're in a hoodie and it's 95 degrees out. Sometimes you can just say, why don't you go step outside and then you're, you can listen to your body and your body knows what it needs to put on the clothes. And if they're real little, you can just throw a jacket in the backpack. I'm going to put this in the backpack. You don't have to wear it. But if you want to, it's there. They have autonomy. They can choose. They are exercising their free will. They know it's there if they need it. But a lot of times the way that we feel temperature is much different than the way they feel temperature. So we kind of have to let those things go. And the natural consequence, they might feel a little chilly or they might feel a little hot. But always encouraging them, listen to your body. What does your brain tell you? Get them in touch with how they feel so they're not always looking externally. If they don't finish their dinner, then they might feel a little bit hungry later. Banana or cheese stick you can have before dinner. But no child's going to starve themselves. But if they feel a lot of pressure and a lot of control in other areas where they feel like they have no control over anything, there's certain things that they can garner control in, and food is one of them. I can't control this woman overly controlling and overbearing in my life, but I can control what I put in my body. And I know this kind of freaks her out. So I'm going to resist this to kind of not get back at her, but to get some control back in their life. They're not doing it against you. They're doing it to practice their own free will. Even though when they're three, they know that free will is something that they are given as a God-given right. If they don't do their homework, they get lunch detention at school. So they're going to have to feel the consequences of not doing the homework at school. Do I say, oh, you never have to do your homework? Absolutely not. But most kids want to do well in school. Most kids want to do well at sports. Most kids want to do well with their friends. A lot of times they don't have the skill set to study, to be organized, to make friends, to be social. So that is where we get curious and not furious of like, huh, I wonder what's going on for him or her that he's not wanting to do his homework or her homework. If they stay up late, guess what? The natural consequence is the next day they'll feel tired at school. Like if you've ever seen a classroom walking down a hallway and someone cuts another child, you don't yell and have to shame them. You just send them back of the line. Oh, that's a bummer you cut in line. But everybody knows in advance what the rules are and what the expectations are. So it's almost like, when the infraction happens, the consequence is already known for everybody. So it's not this big surprise. What? I have to go to the back of the line? Oh my, no way. That's not fair. There's none of that because they already know in advance. So it's kind of like choose your own adventure. If you ever read those books when you were younger, if not, they're really cool. They were like choose your own adventure mystery style. And you'd be reading a chapter and then it was like this big mystery 
but they all had different endings based on what page you went to. So you'd finish the chapter and they'd say, to go into the kitchen, go to page 47. To continue this adventure and going to the museum, go to page 82. So when you're reading, you got to choose. And every time you read the story, you could go different ways and you would find so many different ways to finish the book and go through a different adventure, but it's the same book. So that's kind of what Love and Logic is all about, is about giving them choices that are acceptable for you, using lots of love and compassion, and using natural natural consequences that match up with their infraction, so to speak. I've used this example before, but some, David has to run the dishwasher every single night before he goes to bed. Not has to, but that's usually what he does as he's doing his wrap-up and default settings for the next day. As he's doing his closing up techniques, he's like, it's like we all live in a restaurant, and then there's people who do open, and there's people who do close. If you ever worked in a restaurant, so David's the closer. I'm usually the opener of the restaurant and he's the closer. And then we have so many employees throughout the day and things go right, things go wrong. So when he's closing up shop, one of his things that he does is he runs a dishwasher and then the next day Grady empties it. That just happens to be his job for right now, but some the kids and I rotate it all the time. And so if David doesn't run the dishwasher, then the natural consequence for David, no big deal, everything's NBD, no big deal, is he has to empty it. And Grady's like, yes. So Grady's actually hoping that David forgets to run the dishwasher. Well, David's like super duper organized and never lost a sock. And I've known him since 90, 1999. He's never lost a sock in the laundry. So him not running the dishwasher happens probably like once or twice a year. But we can still root for it. But the natural consequence, and it's not like we shame and yell at him like, oh man, natural consequence for daddy. He has emptied the dishwasher. And then he acts all like, oh rats, I can't believe that. That's such a bummer. So like one another job Grady has is he moves the stuff from the dryer to the chair. For some reason, that's just really hard for me. I don't know why. But he cannot stand sorting laundry. I'm like, oh, I can sort laundry all day long. Don't make me fold it. I just lay it flat. That's another episode we did about laundry. And so he has to move it from the dryer to the chair. So easy, right? But for some reason, he puts it off, stalls. I'm like, hey, I need it done by, let's say, 404. If it's not done, guess what? You have to sort it. That's an NC, baby. And that's how we talk. It's not like, okay, Grady, I need to sit down. I need to have a chat with you. It's like, oh, that's NC, baby. I'm really hoping it by 404, you have not moved the laundry. And so he gets to make the choice. I don't care if he does it or not. I'm actually secretly hoping he doesn't do it by 404 because then he has to sort it too. Let's go. So when you think about natural consequences, get creative. Think about the crime, so to speak, and then make sure that the consequence is natural to the infraction. And take yelling and shaming and blaming off the table because when you do that, then you take it off for yourself too. Because the way that we talk to our kids is really an inside peek of how we talk to ourselves. So once we clean up the way we talk to ourselves and give equal airtime to what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong and our good choices and bad choices as an adult, then we can see it in our kids and then we're not so amped up that, oh my goodness, I'm messing up as a parent because they got a C on the report card or because they forgot to empty the laundry basket. Everything's NBD, no big deal. And when you lighten the mental load and the mental pressure you're putting on yourself, you lighten the mental load that you're putting on your kids. And when that happens, you're always going to have more harmony in the home. I love you guys and I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Hey mamas, thanks for listening. If you had any ahas, clicks, or those lightning bolt moments while listening, you have to check out my free parenting bootcamp where we take all of this to the next level and we try to create even more awakenings for ourselves so that we can connect more with our kids 
and never yell at them again. You can sign up at www.coachingkelly.com. And if you really want to fill up my love cup, send me an email of what your aha was, what your click was, what was that lightning bolt moment while you were listening. I want nothing more in life than for you to have harmony in your home and to learn how to be an imperfect mom like me, which allows your kids to be imperfect too, each and every day. Thanks for listening.